As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Good morning. On day six of this Qatar World Cup, we're at the FIFA Media Center in Doha. All the nations have played now, and today we enter the second round of matches at the tournament, capped off today with England against USA at the Albite Stadium, which is where we focus our attention on this episode with a special round table with our expert transatlantic writers panel from The Athletic. Also, there's reaction to Ronaldo's entrance to the tournament, Richarlison's wonder goal, and the worry around Neymar. I'm Adam Leventhal and this is The Athletic Football Podcast. England having, as expected, put the challenge of the United States to one side with a 5-0 victory. Once again, England stretch and Reynolds takes it back and it's a goal! It's all over. We have seen a sad, sad night in English football history. The match has ended with an historic scoreline. The United States of America 2, England 0. Welcome to Rustenburg, to the Royal Bafokeng Stadium as the 1966 World Champions England go head-to-head with the United States of America. Chance here for England, score! The goal from Steven Gerrard is just the boost England required. Dempsey, one of the stars of the Confederations Cup. Testing Green again, oh, from an error. What an awful moment for Rob Green and for England. Presented Clint Dempsey with an American equaliser. Oh, that will take some getting over. Sorry to fans, because our performance in South Africa was no good. I know they spend a lot of time and a lot of money. Sorry. I'm joined here at the Media Centre in Doha by The Athletics, England writer Jack Pitt-Brook and Sam Stayskal, who covers the US men's team for us. First of all, happy Thanksgiving, Sam. How was How was your Thanksgiving? It was nice, you know, a lot of work, but US soccer and MLS actually put together a very nice event for a, a lot of journalists and other folks. So we got some turkey. It was good. Turkey and paella, which is a unique Thanksgiving combo, but but it was tasty. Now, 
what about the team? Pre- presumably they, they, they yeah. delay all this. Yeah, no, they, they shockingly didn't want to enter into a food coma the night before the match. <laughs> um, so they will, they will have a Thanksgiving dinner on Saturday. They'll do their regen and, and their training session for the reserves from the, from the match against England. And then after that, they'll gather with over 200 friends and family and, and have a nice big turkey dinner. They're flying in turkeys from the U.S. Um, right, nice. for the meal. So, so that'll be nice for them, I'm sure, particularly if they get a result. Just to contrast, your, your, your diet, Jack, on Thanksgiving was what? Uh, I actually had a real meal from a restaurant yesterday. Oh, did you? With, I, I'd forgotten, but there are these things that grow in the ground called vegetables. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, I, it, yeah, it was amazing to get back to fresh food rather than stadium sandwiches. Excellent. Jolly good. Well, yeah, happy Thanksgiving to, to all Thank the you. listeners, uh, to you, Sam. Um, We'll get to the game very shortly, including the fact that David Ornstein has reported um, that England will be naming an unchanged side. We'll, we'll tear into that in a moment's time. But Sam, I wanted to start with you. And the piece, or one of the pieces that you've written in the build-up to this game is all about the American identity, I guess, coming into this game against England in particular and being in a, in a strange situation of, of being an underdog, but also wanting respect. Yeah. You know, an inferiority complex. Yeah. Just to tell me about it. How, how, where's your mind at? Yeah, so I, my mind is actually like back 25 years ago in my hometown when I was a little seven or eight year old boy playing soccer in a summer camp. And every summer I would do this camp and it was associated with the Chicago Fire, which is the, the MLS team where I grew up. And every summer they would fly in British university students to coach us little kids. And I, I remember being like, they must know so much about the game they have english accents <laughs> and and like that is sort of the in, that that's not an uncommon indoctrination into the sport for american kids um and that is sort of a lens through which we view a lot of things obviously we consume the premier league as a nation in a pretty hefty manner it's the second most popular league in the u.s behind Liga Mekis, the mexican league mm-hmm. um and everything about our culture not everything but many things about our, our soccer culture have been shaped by the English. And so as we try to grow the game on the men's side in particular, and as the men try and get better results, uh, there's, I think, I don't know if people like admitting this, but I think there's an undercurrent of, we want a little more respect from everybody, but we want a little more respect in particular from the English. And what better way to do that than by playing England, so. Yeah, I mean, but is this, is this coming from you? Does this transcend into the into the dressing room? Do you yeah. think that they are feeling this is a almost like a tipping point moment? We this is yeah. huge for us for I, so many more reasons. I, I mean, obviously they would have to kick on and, and do more, no matter what happens in the game tonight. But but yes, I think it's it's pervasive throughout. Um, you know, I talked to some members of the 2010 team for that piece: Clint Dempsey, mm-hmm. Stuart Holden, Maurice yeah. Adu. Um, and they certainly felt that in the build-up to that game. And this team in particular, they've said it a million times. Greg Berhalter, Christian Pulisic, their whole mission here is to change the way the world perceives American soccer. That's, that's line one. It's not, let's go win the World Cup. It's, let's change the way the world perceives American soccer through doing well at the World Cup. So that is really present here. I think there's an understanding among all the members of the team. It's maybe not as pronounced as it was for people of prior generations even the 2010 team because i think on an individual level the players get more respect now than they did back in those days collectively though the u.s still hasn't really done anything 
on the world stage uh, on the men's side. And, and so there's an understanding that they need to prove themselves. And if they do it against England, they can get more mileage out of it than they could against basically anybody else from a perception standpoint. Jack, well, diplomacy time from you. What, what, what is your view of US soccer? And as you know, Sam's um, said there, there seems to be far more, far more respect. Or do you still think that there is that snobbishness from, from the English towards the US game? I think there probably is quite a lot of snobbishness from English people in general towards uh, towards the US team, towards MLS. Um, I think a lot. I think nobody nobody in England has any real sense of how good this US MNT is. Like I think we're quite. That's one of the reasons why we're quite looking forward to to the game, or why it's, quite, it's such an exciting prospect. Is I remember there was that game at Wembley a few years ago where they yeah. were. Um, but that was clearly like at a different stage in this US team's development. Yeah, Berhalter wasn't even in the head coach yet. Uh, I mean, the team, I don't remember the exact 11, but it was entirely different than the one yeah. we'll see tonight. Yeah, so I think it, 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 they're a real unknown, e- even if quite a lot of the players are familiar on an individual level, as a team, they're just a real unknown quantity, I think, in yeah. the UK. Yeah, and, and I think, to be fair, Pulisic said this the other day. He said, I don't think there's a misperception of what this team has been about. Like historically, we've had a lot of heart, we've had a lot of desire, and we've had good results off of that combined with some skill. But we haven't pushed on in a way that has made us a big soccer football nation. And we need to actually do that to get that respect. And, and so, yeah, I mean, in terms of this specific team, we're curious too, because they haven't played that many good teams over the last few years. It's a very young group, of course. Um, they haven't been tested like they will be against England, ever. In, in their history, brief history as a team. And, and so we'll see. We're, we're curious about that as well. And before we get stuck into that, just, you know, a word about the, the perception again. Um, you know, we had the situation with Bob Bradley. He wasn't given the respect when he came over to, to England. And he was, he was lampooned on, you know, TV programmes and, and things like that. Jesse Marsh, who's writing for us during the tournament, the Leeds boss still getting the sort of the Ted Lasso yeah. uh, comparisons and things like that. Is a, is a game of football gonna gonna change that, or is that just mud sticking? And it's just the way it is. Well, I don't think I don't think if the US beat England tonight, then all of a sudden those jokes will stop forever. You know, I think that would be unrealistic. <laughs> Equally, I think it, it's the only it's the only it's the only thing that could move things slightly in that direction. Like I think that it will only be with the success of the US team and the success of individual. US players in Europe that I think people will stop making those jokes but I think those jokes are so kind of deeply ingrained in uh, there's a part of the English psyche which really enjoys making that those kind of jokes and that means I think that will stick around for a long time regardless of what happens on the pitch the big sort of dynamic shift I suppose is that there are so many players that play for this US side who are playing at a top level across Europe but especially in England as well how do you think that changes how this game might play out? You know, I think it'll, it'll make them maybe a little less odd by the moment. I think it always helps to have a little bit of familiarity with your opponent. There certainly is a lot of that between these players. You know, even shoot, Jude Bellingham and Gio Reyna are really good friends at Borussia Dortmund, for instance. <laughs> so, so I think that will help. Um, other th- I don't think it'll make a huge impact, though. When I think back to the 2010 game, 
there weren't U.S. players at clubs like Chelsea or Juventus or AC Milan or Arsenal like there are now. Um, but they weren't overawed by that moment either. And they knew what they could do. And, and when I look at it, I don't necessarily think this collection of U.S. players, they're more talented, they have higher potential, but as a team, I don't think they're that much better than that 2010 group. Uh, part of that is due to youth, but uh, so I don't know how much of an impact that'll make. It certainly doesn't hurt, but I don't think we should necessarily read too much into it. Hearing from Gareth Southgate yesterday um, in the press conference, there was a couple of nice moments actually when he was talking about Greg Berhalter and you know the fact that they knew each other from from the past, and there was a bit of bit of banter, wasn't there, bet- between them coming from from Gareth? But also he spoke with with great respect about how the U.S. side, U.S. footballing structure has changed, especially down to scouting, recruitment of dual citizenship and, and all that sort of stuff. So I think that they, they know full well that they're going to be in a game tonight, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Like Southgate is, I, don't, I can't remember any England manager in history being more respectful of opponents and other teams than Southgate is. You know, he was asked about um, the famous easy front page after the, the draw for the 2010 World Cup and he made a comment that uh, England had never beaten the US in a game at a major, in a, in a major tournament and that, um, I think his words were something like, uh, we do that a lot in this country, you know, kind of um, over, over I, I'm not getting the words exactly right, but like uh, we overrate our, our chances even if we don't have a good historical justification for doing so. Yeah. Uh, which got a good laugh in the room. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think Southgate handles the. I think Southgate handles these situations really, really well. And uh, clearly, he 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 is one person who is abs- There's absolutely zero chance. I think of Southgate disrespecting or underestimating the the US team this evening. Sam, do you think that it would be a huge shock, a seismic shock, if the US won tonight? Uh, it depends on the audience. For people that follow the U.S. team closely, uh, no. For the general American public, which will be tuning into this game, it's a day off for most people in the U.S. today, uh, the day after Thanksgiving. It could be the largest television audience for a soccer game in American history. It almost certainly will be for, for the men's national team. Um, so for people like you know my aunts and uncles who don't know anything about soccer uh, but know I'm here and maybe will watch, <laughs> they'll be like, whoa. The U.S. beat England in this hypothetical scenario. That would be a big deal to that person. So, so yes and no. That would be a shock for, for some that, that maybe don't don't know the deal. Um, for those who do, I think it still would be a surprise, but but less of one kind of understanding what this U.S. team's about, how they like to play, and and some of the talent that is on the field. Okay, let's get stuck into today's game in detail. is leading this team back to the promised land. Eight long years later, the U.S. is headed back to the world's biggest stage. We're going to the World Cup. See you in Qatar. So the United States of America will be going into Group B with England. The States, I've got to know the coach quite well in the last few months, and I think he's doing a really good job. Uh, A lot of good young players coming through. Slipped into Where? Where Junior? Timothy Where? 
I think they're going to be one of the favorites to win the World Cup, if not the favorite. You know, it's scary thinking about you know how we're going to beat them. And it's in from Bellingham. In from Shaw, he's looking for Maguire. He gets it down to Saka. Looking for Sterling. And Saka keeps on going himself. Oh, why wouldn't he? It's Kane. And this is Rashford's first touch. There's the second. There's the next. Wilson in on goal, playing in Grealish. England have six in a game for a second World Cup in a row. David Ornstein, as we mentioned, reported that it's going to be an unchanged side. Does that surprise you? I suppose it, the, the big news is obviously that Harry Kane has come through that little, that little scare. No, it doesn't surprise me. I thought everyone played pretty well in the Iran game. I think no one has offered any reason to be dropped. Every, as far as we know, everyone seems to still be fit. I, so I think it's always really made sense for Southgate to stick with his team in this game. And then maybe if they get a good result this evening, I imagine we'll see a lot of changes for the Wales game on Tuesday night uh, so that Southgate can, can give minutes to the other guys in the squad who maybe haven't played so much yet. And Greg Berhalter, how's his sort of mind in terms of how he dealt with the game against Wales and, and righting any wrongs or trying to continue momentum? How do you think he's feeling? Yeah, there was a general sense of disappointment yeah. coming off the Wales game for the US, a sense that they, they missed an opportunity to take all three points. Obviously, the late penalty conceding that, but they had opportunities in transition to go get a second goal and they just couldn't really find the final ball on a lot of them. Um, so they'll look to clean that up for sure. In terms of the lineup itself, I might expect an unchanged 11 as well. There are a few questions. There's a little bit of controversy over Gio Reyna and his lack of involvement in the first game. He, of course, has a lengthy injury history despite his young age. Uh, Berhalter said that he experienced a little bit of tightness after the match, and the match had really opened up by the time that Wales had, had equalized and you would want to bring Reyna on, and they didn't want to subject him to that. He is available against England. I don't think he will start. Um, but certainly somebody that could come on in the second half if the U.S. need a goal. He has, some, he has skills that, that no other player on the American team has. He can unlock a defense in ways that other guys can't. From England's point of view, Jack, I mean, you mentioned it there. Obviously, it would be great to go into the game against Wales with, with no pressure. And I guess that is reflected in, in England not, not messing around with this, with this team lineup. Do you think it is a gamble in a certain way? to maybe not try and rotate considering that they have had you know a tough game or relatively tough game uh i don't think it's a gamble because i don't think there's i don't really see that they would gain too much from rotating obviously they've got really good players on the bench you know foden Grealish, especially rashford but then i just don't think uh, and of course carl walker who we, we gather is fit even though he wasn't selected for the first game um i just don't really see what they would gain from making changes i think they the team played they played well against Iran and they looked they looked really well organized they looked really um, like they gelled quite well as a unit and I I imagine that if this is close to being Southgate's best team it probably makes sense to get another game where you just get the same guys on the pitch together and uh, and kind of work on that sort of gelling process which I suppose all, all 32 teams in this World Cup are, are in at the moment what weaknesses do you see in this England side and I guess more importantly, you're not going to be in the dugout. Um, <laughs> th th does Greg Berhalter see or, you know, the, the players that are going to be out there, do you think? Do you think they'll be, especially the English-based players, what little scabs will they be picking at? 
I think there's an opportunity for the U.S. to maybe exploit space behind the England center backs and, and take advantage of, of perhaps a lack of speed. The U.S. like to play in a way where the striker sometimes drops in, drags the center back forward, moves space or opens space behind for a winger to run into um, and, and take advantage of. That's how they scored the other night uh, with through Tim Weah. It was kind of exactly how they drew it up. They just weren't able to do it that often. And then the transition moments, of course, when England get forward and, and there's naturally some space in behind, can they take advantage of those? I think that will sort of be the main the main aim for the U.S. tonight. And we'll see. I think that's that's the one relative weakness that I think that they can I think really exploit. From an England perspective, that's exactly what I would be worried about as well. Like, the, you know, this is going to be, this is not the way that England always play at tournaments. You know, this is going to be a back four, no Kyle Walker, Maguire and Stones are the only two centre-backs. So they don't have Walker there whose recovery pace is so good that he can kind of, he's like an extra insurance policy, meaning that Maguire and Stones can push really, really high up. So I think, you know, if let, I'm sure England will dominate possession. I'm sure England will try and push quite far up the pitch, depending on the halfway line but then equally if, if the US can counter really quickly it's huge there's a, a huge amount of space in behind Harry yeah. Maguire and Maguire's not that good at, at getting back so I think it's I can totally see a situation in which England do England dominate possession but there will certainly be moments where I think they'll be vulnerable to getting hit on the break by the US. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, let's reflect now on Portugal starting their tournament with a dramatic victory over Ghana. Abby Patterson was there. It's nice to be out here in the uh, in the sunshine, reflecting on uh, quite a game. H- how was it for you? It was a really um, enjoyable experience. I, I was loving the Ghanaian fans. They were really bringing the atmosphere in the party. They had the, the trumpets and the drums going throughout the match. Uh, but when Cristiano scored, 
you realised how full that stadium actually was. The noise was just, it was deafening. I know we use that word a lot in football, but I hadn't experienced a noise that loud. And uh, I matched this tournament so far, I would say. Um, and yeah, every time that he touched the ball, the first time he touched the ball, there was just this um, round of applause. Like That's where people had come to see. They'd come to see Cristiano. And, you know, slightly controversially, he did deliver. And he did get the goal. Um, and I did speak about that with Michael Cox after the match. We've just seen the end of Portugal 3, Ghana 2, and I have come over and found Michael Cox, who has been taking in the action as well. Michael, what did you make of the game? I was quite impressed by Portugal. I know they took a while to get in the group, but I thought first half they pressed more intensely than I've seen them do. I think the rotation of positions was good. And I think they got a little bit unlucky with that Ronaldo disallowed goal. I didn't think that was any more of a foul than the, the penalty one in the second half. So I thought Portugal were good. I think actually Fernando Santos, weirdly, will be a bit more concerned about the second half. I thought they're quite ragged defensively. They allowed some counter-attacks. There was a moment at the end where the goalkeeper almost gifted them an equaliser. But first half, I thought they were much better than I expected, to be honest. Got to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo, the first player to score five in five uh, World Cups now. Uh, it was a penalty and he missed that. What, what, do you think that he showed tonight that Manchester United were wrong to, to let him go? I thought he was decent, actually. He, he played a part in impressing at times. I thought his movement was good. Like I say, I think that first half goal maybe should have stood. And yeah, I mean, to score in five World Cups is pretty incredible. I mean, there's only a handful of players who have ever played in five World Cups. So to score in five, yeah, I mean, that, that probably takes him into, regardless of what happens at the tournament, probably takes him into one of the kind of, you know, historic World Cup players, which I think maybe we don't think of him as because he hasn't won it. Uh, a word on Ghana, they have scored two goals. They'll take heart from this performance, won't they? Yeah, I thought they were all right. I thought it was quite a cautious performance. I think it probably made sense, especially given the other games, being nil-nil. If they could get a draw from this, maybe they're, yeah, probably their hardest game. I think that would have been good. I mean, the funny thing was, when they went behind, I wondered what their approach was going to be in terms of a plan B, but actually it was pretty much the same. They got the goal from speed in behind the defence, really. Um, I thought they were OK. I, they'll, have, they'll probably have to open up a little bit more against Korea. I mean, that game is not a must-win, but it's a must-not-lose. If they lose that, they are literally out. Uh, you've been to quite a few matches now. What have you made of the tournament as a whole? I think it's been really mixed. There's obviously been a slightly concerning number of nil-nils there's been a couple of games where the favourites have, have run away with it there's been a couple of historic comebacks from uh, Saudi Arabia and Japan but I think the quality's been alright I think you've got to cut the, the team some slack they've had barely any preparation I think to a certain extent the first round is their preparation, it's almost their final pre-tournament friendly um, and yeah it's, it's, it's been decent so far So that was Abby speaking to Michael Cox um, and you can hear more from him breaking down the entire first round of matches in the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Uh, also at the Portugal-Ghana game was David Ornstein, who bumped into Bruno Fernandes. Bruno, you must be in really high spirits after that victory. Yeah, of course, it was really important for us to win this, uh, this first game. We are really happy for that. And uh, obviously, it was a tough game for us, uh, but at the end we won it, so it's, it's the most important thing. Can we have a more positive word for Ronaldo now, after his historic achievements and all the questions that have been asked in a really big week for him? No, I think I think uh, Chris liked to work under under that criticize, criticism from uh, everyone. So I, I I pray all of you to to keep doing that because he gets he gets the best of himself when uh, when you guys do do that. 
Pushing Lazovic back and finding Richarlison! Now that, that is Brazil! So, I've just finished up Chichi's press conference after Brazil's sensational win against Serbia. What a great second half. A win that was soured by the injury to Neymar uh, at the end of the game. Chichi said that uh, he played on for 11 minutes with the injury, which seems to be a sprain um, to his right ankle. He kept on playing. Chichi said he was tricked um, by Neymar's pain threshold. He couldn't tell that he was injured and praised Neymar for wanting to play on for the team. The team doctor then came out um, to speak to us, says they're not going to rush to judgment. They need to wait and see. Uh, Neymar will have another scan. Chichi, when asked, you know, how are you going to replace Neymar? He wanted to project confidence that he will play in this competition again. He said Neymar will continue um, to play in the World Cup. Richarlison, uh, the man of the match, then came out. Um, and said that whilst he was waiting to do an anti-doping test, he called Neymar, he recommended that he put some ice (coughs) on his ankle and that once he gets uh, back to the hotel, he's going to go and check up on him. But I think, again, what Brazil showed tonight is that they are more than Neymar. They can cope without him. Neymar was influential in the second half in helping Brazil get that first all-important goal. But the attacking options that they have got are such that they can better cope with an absence, be it for one game, be it for two games, be it for the rest of the tournament, because there's just so much talent available to Chi-Chi. Well, I know how much James Horncastle was looking forward to going to that game. We caught up with him on yesterday's podcast uh, at his villa by the pool. And Richarlison scored the goal of the tournament so far. Jack, it, it was a it was a wonderful moment, wasn't it? Oh, it was an amazing moment. I was so I was just so happy when it went in. Like it was it was a brilliant piece of football. I think everyone everyone had been really anticipating the arrival of Brazil into the World Cup. I feel like this World Cup needs Brazil to be really good. Like the last thing that this World Cup needs is another European dominate. Yeah, we can't have I don't I don't want another European like all European final. I really want Brazil and Argentina to be good. Obviously, Argentina were really bad against Saudi Arabia, um, and that's really disappointing. So I feel like this World Cup cannot survive having Brazil and Argentina both being bad at the same time. Uh, So yeah, I loved watching Brazil. I thought they were really, really good value for their win. On another day, they would have scored a lot more goals. But that piece of magic from from Richarlison was incredible. Like It's um, definitely the goal of the World Cup so far. I I doubt it'll it'll be bettered. Piece of magic, but a massive worry with Neymar and his ankle injury, isn't it? Yeah, I felt really, yeah, I, I, I think everyone feels really anxious about this. You know, we need, we need this World Cup needs a really good Neymar as well as a good Brazil. Um, he's, you know, he's, th- what, he's 30 years old now, I think. So it's not like he's going to be the same player pro- at the USA World Cup in four years time. Uh, so I really hope for his sake that he's able to shake it off because, I mean, I, I actually think Brazil would cope fine. Like they've got lots, they've got so many really good players that they could they could still be an exciting team without Neymar. But I would, um, I mean, on a personal level, I hope that he's able to play because it obviously means, means so much to him.
Now, The Athletic's Adam Crafton sent us his conversation with Piara Power, the director of FAIR, an anti-discrimination group that has an arrangement with FIFA to post monitors in the World Cup stadiums in Qatar. Here is Piara giving his thoughts on the tournament so far from an anti-discrimination point of view. This week, we've seen European associations attempt to wear the one love armband and ultimately decide not to after being, they say, threatened with sporting sanctions. Um, how much damage do you think FIFA have done this week and also perhaps the associations themselves and subsequently not wearing the armbands with what's happened? Yeah, I think, I think it's been a, a week also of quite heading football politics. Mm. You, you see those politics swirling around. You know, the, the, the Danes have now announced that they, they're looking to or considering withdrawing from FIFA. Now, that would be a huge step. I, I can't see it happening. But there, there's no question that there are uh, European associations who are deeply hurt about what's happened here. And, and is, that, is that mostly Denmark, Norway? Is it the Scandinavians and the Germans? The Germans, for sure. Um, I think also the Belgians and the Dutch as well. The, I can't really work out what the English position is. They've been disappointed. But disappointment seems to be the, the way that they term everything, really. It's really. It was really difficult to find out what the English commitment to the armband was, why they were wearing it. Uh, but they did, and, and I think Mark Bullingham stood up and, and, and said they were wearing it for human rights, and they, they, they touched on LGBTIQ rights, but I don't know what their position is now, whereas others are coming out much stronger, having an internal reflection than an external reflection. So that was Piara Power, the director of FAIR, speaking to Adam Craft, and you can read much more from him throughout the tournament on issues uh, on the field and off the field. The most comprehensive coverage of the World Cup from here in Qatar, from our team of reporters, including so much on England against USA. We are really looking forward to that and we'll react to that on tomorrow's episode from the game. Uh, there's also plenty of non-World Cup stories around as well, including the details on Liverpool sporting director Julian Ward stepping down and more. Uh, you can subscribe for £1 a month for 12 months, our best offer of the year by going to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. We'll be back tomorrow. The Athletic.